Welcome to A Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian, and I'm in studio with our senior pastor, Scott Richards. It's me. Hello, sir. Uh, it's good to be here. And his, our, all of ours, right-hand guy. Right-hand man. All-around good guy. All-around good guy. Sean Protégé. Richards. All the other things we call him. <laughs> me that. And, and sometimes <laughs> even late for dinner. But sometimes. Sometimes. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Happy Wednesday. We are live streaming live from uh, Tucson, Arizona. I said that's redundant, isn't it? I'm live streaming live. Of course I am. Uh, from Tucson, Arizona. Easy uh, Hagel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're at our home church here in Tucson, Arizona, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, and it is a privilege to be here with you all. Um, if you are new to the program, we want to invite you to engage with us. This is a Bible answer program. We do this every weekday, Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And if you are someone who wants to know, uh, has a, an eager uh, desire to know truth, to know what the meaning of life is and why are we here, where are we going, what does living really mean, uh, specifically, if you want to know, is the Bible the Word of God? Is uh, a specific passage? How do I interpret it? How do I apply it to my life? This and many, many more questions that we have had the privilege of answering, studying, learning uh, as we go through the scriptures, the Word of God. So if you are someone who wants to know, you can ask us and we would be happy to engage with you about these kinds of questions so if you want to join us you can do so by joining us uh, uh, on our live stream social media platforms we live stream to facebook just go to facebook and search for calvary christian fellowship or you can just go straight to the link that you see on the screen there if you're listening in on the radio that's facebook.com slash ccf tucson you can also join us on youtube just go to YouTube and search for A Reason for Hope, or you can go straight and search for our uh, handle, which is the at symbol, A Reason for Hope 546. Now, if you are someone who says, well, I just don't want to be on those social media platforms, I don't have a Facebook account, and I certainly don't want to have a Google account, you can also join us on our website. Just go to calvarychristianfellowship.com, and you can not only engage with us, but you can watch all of our services. <clears throat> you can... Um, go to our w website and you can go through and look at uh, our uh, archives of our sermons. We are a, a church that teaches book by book, so if you want to go through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, you can do so by just going to our website. Or you can, of course, download our awesome app. We have an app. You can go to the Apple or Google Play Store and search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Look, look for that nifty little red dove and uh, download the app. It's got a cool digital Bible, multiple translations. You can leave notes and highlight texts. Remember what you studied in that specific part of scripture. We also have our access to our archives. So you can go through the multiple books of the Bible that our senior pastor, Scott Richards, has taught through over the last 25 years plus, I think. And uh, of course, we live stream our services. So if you have an Amazon Fire product or a Roku device, you can add our channel to your channel listing and watch our services. Our services are Wednesday evenings, our Oasis service. We're currently going through the book of Ezekiel. So tonight, after this program, if you want to stay on, uh, you can actually go through our uh, attend our service online if you're not in the Tucson area or if you're unable to attend here locally. <clears throat> and of course, on Wednesdays at 8, 9.30 and 11 a.m., we live stream our Sunday morning services and we're currently going through the book of Acts. So that is exciting stuff. Now, if you are someone who would like to ask a question of this program, a reason for hope, but want to do so maybe more discreetly, you can email us directly 
at questionsforhope at gmail.com. That is questionsforhope, all letters, no numbers, for those of you listening on the radio, at gmail.com. Well, gentlemen, I think I got it all. I think you did. Or at least most of it. <laughs> most of it. Before, Before we... too long, you'll be able to say it in your sleep. Don't <laughs> <laughs> so. I know it. Yeah. Well, before we take your questions, uh, we always take a moment to pray before the program, or I should say, before we take questions. We're already started the program, but uh, uh, Pastor Scott, would you uh, just pray for our time? Absolutely. Father, I thank you for this amazing day that you've made. And Lord, it is wonderful to see how you're working in and through the lives of your people. Uh, Lord, uh, you know uh, the very uh, day, minute, and hour that Jesus is going to return for us. And we know that the day uh, that we see Jesus is nearer now than we first believed. We pray we would have that anxious, Maranatha kind of spirit in our hearts. We would pray that we would delight in your word. We would ask, Lord, that you might uh, cause us to be able to explore things in your word uh, that uh, we have never uh, considered before. And uh, that uh, by doing so, you would have more and more uh, of a hold on our hearts. We would uh, gladly and willingly uh, release more and more of uh, those areas maybe that have beset us in our uh, areas of stumbling to you, that people would experience that deliverance and victory uh, just by hearing your word shared in this program today. I pray you would deepen our understanding, uh, give us a heart and a passion to apply, uh, because we know that what we do with our lives actually matters to you, Lord, and that uh, by saying yes to you, and yes, to the power of your spirit working in our lives, we could actually bring a smile to your face, Lord. Lift up your countenance upon us, and may this time in your word be fruitful and beautiful for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, do we have any uh, interesting updates before we get to the question? Yeah, um, you know, as you know, uh, on Monday, 9-11, uh, uh, our current administration saw fit. Uh, I think uh, this may qualify for the Hall of Fame of Tone Deafness uh, to uh, announce that they were going to be unfreezing $6 billion, that's billion with a B, uh, dollars of Iranian assets uh, in order to secure the release of five uh, individuals who have dual Iranian-American citizenship that were held in the horrific uh, Evan prison in Iran. Uh, as you know, uh, first of all, giving $6 billion to the mad mullahs in Tehran who have made no bones about the fact that they are uh, pursuing uh, nuclear ambitions. Uh, they are the number one identified by our own State Department, sponsor of states' terrorism in the world. And yet uh, this decision was made to grant uh, the uh, mad mullahs $6 billion, which they will dutifully put to work in destabilizing the Middle East, uh, focusing their attention on their two great enemies, uh, the great Satan and the little Satan. Uh, they have death to the great Satan and little Satan uh, day every Friday in front of the Mad Mullah's palaces. Uh, the little Satan is Israel. The great Satan is the United States because the United States was uh, knee deep in uh, deposing a uh, dutifully elected individual who is uh, very pro-Islamist and replacing him with the Shah of Iran back in the day. They've never forgotten about that. And as we talked about yesterday, uh, people in uh, Islam tend to have long memories about these kind of affronts and assaults. So uh, we're basically giving $6 billion to people that are about the business of developing nuclear weapons. Uh, apparently the last estimate has increased the amount of enriched uranium that the Iranians are currently uh, bringing to uh, uh, 
weapons grade levels uh, from uh, six nuclear weapons potentially to 10 nuclear weapons uh, uh, if they are able to complete uh, their work on these sort of things. And there's really uh, just a matter of months before they would have such a bomb ready to go. We talked a little bit about the uh, fact on our Twitter feed that uh, the the fact that uh, our borders are essentially open right now and uh, over 154 individuals that uh, were listed on uh, the FBI's terror watch list have been apprehended among those crossing our border. Well, you know, say, for instance, the Iranians decide uh, to uh, go ahead and uh, perfect their nuke. They don't necessarily have to put it on a ballistic missile to get us over here. Uh, the same thing could be very possibly snuck into our very porous and wide open borders. The good news is uh, because of uh, the, the uh, influx of illegal aliens into uh, what were pretty well uh, pro-sanctuary city sites uh, in this country, the tide is turning on the opinion on all of this. The idea of uh, putting up a border wall to restrict such entry is uh, gaining popularity across the board. We'll see if anything comes of this. But the, the long and the short of it is, is that uh, you really just don't want to feed a regime like the one in power in Iran uh, with this kind of capital because they will use it for nefarious uh, events. Our good friend uh, Joel Rosenberg on his All Israel News site has a, uh, a story up today about the reaction uh, to this uh, decision by our State Department and uh, the Biden administration. Uh, again, uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo wrote an op-ed on the Fox News website with this headline, Team Biden just made the worst deal ever with Iran. Uh, he said this, while our goal should always be to bring every American home, we must also negotiate to ensure we don't incentivize the taking of hostages in the future. But this is the worst deal ever. Paying for Americans wrongly detained by Iran will only make Americans less safe in the long run and provides more funding for the brutal Iranian regime. These were lessons we learned long ago, but that Joe Biden refuses to learn, stressed Pompeo. Uh, former President Donald Trump slammed Biden on Truth Social, claiming this sets a terrible precedent. He said, so let's get this straight. We did a hostage trade with Iran. We gave them five very tough, smart people they desperately wanted. We likewise got back five people. We also gave them $6 billion on top of it. How much of a kickback does Joe Biden get? <laughs> does anyone realize how much money $6 billion is? When I was president, we got back 58 hostages for zero money. Remember Pastor Brunson? Well, again, uh, the White House has insisted the U.S. is not giving Iran any money directly per the deal. The frozen funds are billions of dollars owed to Iran by South Korea for the sale of oil products and will be transferred to the Ayatollah regime through the nation of Qatar. Uh, allowing these funds to be transferred from restricted Iranian accounts held in the Republic of Korea, uh, Korea to accounts in Qatar for humanitarian trade is necessary to facilitate the release of these U.S. citizens, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said in a letter to Congress on Monday. Well, uh, according to the BBC, Iran is owed tens of billions of dollars held in bank accounts across the world since 2018, when then-President Trump withdrew from the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action nuclear deal and reinstituted U.S. sanctions. The waiver means that foreign banks will not be targeted by U.S. sanctions for transferring funds from South Korea to Iran. 
Well, uh, again, uh, the the big question is this: uh, What will Iran do with these money? Our uh, monies. Our State Department says no. This will only be used for humanitarian aid to feed the Iranian people. However, Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi told NBC News, the host, the host Lester Holt, that the money will be spent quote wherever we need it. So basically, fooey on you. Uh, you know, again, the list of people criticizing this is as uh, long as my arm here. Uh, but uh, the bottom line is uh, Ted Cruz, uh, the senator from Texas, said this. The Biden administration is sending $6 billion to the Iranian Ayatollah who routinely chants death to America and death to Israel. Sadly, this uh, White House puts partisan politics ahead of national security. This is spectacularly dangerous for Israel and for United States. Uh, so, uh, as I recall, one of the primary definitions of treason is providing aid to the enemies of our country. Well, uh, I'm not sure I would go so far as to call it treason, but as far as uh, what the Bible has to say uh, on the biblical prophecy realm of things, I think there's a couple of scriptures to take in, to keep in mind. The United States using its influence to unfreeze the, these uh, funds that uh, were basically being held in South Korea uh, comes dangerously close in my mind to the uh, Genesis 12:3 uh, territory where God said, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. By definition, providing the financial wherewithal for the largest state sponsor of terrorism in the Middle East uh, to continue to stir things up and make things difficult for God's people in Israel, I think meets that particular definition because these aren't taxpayer dollars these were funds that were frozen and then being are now being released that is their money in a sense that we're just it was frozen and now we're uh, working to get it released is that well uh, yeah it was the result of a transaction between Korea and uh, Iran however it was frozen because uh, Iran demonstrated beyond a shadow of a doubt that they were not willing to uh, put any kind of a hold on their nuclear ambitions, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action Agreement that the Obama administration mm. uh, had uh, completed with them. They've systematically violated every one of the restrictions involved. And so one of the tenets of the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action Agreement was that if Iran did not cooperate and did not provide, say, free access to the International Atomic Energy Agency, and so on to uh, keep a uh, eye on their nuclear uh, ambitions, that uh, these sanctions would be put in place. Everybody signed on that line. So mm -hmm. it's not a question of this is their money that somehow they're being cheated out of. They knew full well going in uh, what the financial consequences would be. However, if you're in a situation where now there are no financial consequences for pursuing your nuclear ambitions, well, you do the math. Uh, this is not just uh, bad news for Israel, although they are the closest uh, to Iran. Remember who the great Satan is. The great Satan is the United States. And the question always comes up, why isn't the United States mentioned in biblical prophecy as one of the great players in the last days and the end times? Well, among other uh, possible theories is that the United States won't be around because we won't be the dominant superpower anymore. Now, whether that happens, uh, because of some kind of uh, limited exchange, uh, some kind of disaster, like, say, the detonation of a nuclear bomb on United States soil, uh, or uh, perhaps even the rapture of the church. 
uh, devastating the United States. We've just gone past uh, another anniversary of the 9-11 uh, disaster. Uh, well, the, the bottom line was after, you know, just under 3,000 people lost their lives that day, it took the United States economy roughly three years to recover. Do you imagine what would happen if, uh, say, suddenly 20 million people uh, vanished at the rapture? Uh, the United States, I think, would be very, very hard hit. I, I hope that that's going to be what happens here. But suffice it to say, uh, international instability is growing. Uh, the world is kind of looking around saying, who can we count on uh, to be the one that's going to bring security and stability? China seems to be showing a desire uh, with uh, a number of their economic uh, endeavors to uh, create an alternative to the dollar as the international currency. Uh, to be able to step into that role. Uh, their uh, development of their uh, military is very, very troubling. Uh, their ambitions as far as taking back Taiwan, uh, seemingly a lot of saber rattling going on there. So people ask, where is the United States in biblical prophecy? Three possibilities. Number one, uh, we continue to decline as a world power, uh, lose the guts, the wherewithal, the financial means. Uh, to be able to be the uh, policeman for the world, mm. uh, which uh, when you take a look at the economic uh, information, boy, you know, just drive past a gas station right now. Uh, gas here in Tucson has gone up about 40 cents a gallon yeah. in the last week. Uh, inflation is continuing to run out of control. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, this devastates an economy, uh, not only the world economy, but the United States in general. Maybe we're going to continue down that path. The other is that there might be some kind of limited war where the United States is removed, uh, so devastated we can't be that 800-pound military guerrilla. And, mm. you know, we've got a great military, there's no doubt about it, uh, but uh, what's a great military if you don't have the will to use it? Right. Uh, so we could the, be steeped in civil conflict even. Yeah, right. the, uh, the other possibility is uh, something, you know, say like a, uh, uh, the, the rapture of the church happening in the United States losing its place because so many people have vanished overnight. I'd like to think that that's going to be the one that's going to happen. And to me, that's the most practical because if I want to see that happen, then I know how to facilitate that. That is by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with everybody I get an opportunity mm -hmm. to do so with. I think that's probably the most optimistic so uh, that's definitely going on. Uh, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. A lot of internal turmoil going on in Israel right now. Looks like uh, the, uh, the uh, culmination of the conflict over uh, the uh, judicial proceedings uh, and the, the role of, ju of the judiciary having oversight, over, over, uh, overwhelming, if you will, even uh, the will of uh, the uh, Israeli parliament Looks like uh, the final decisions are going to be made and be made by the judiciary, believe it or not. I'd uh, be very surprised if any uh, governmental agency says, yeah, we'll give up our power, no problem. <laughs> so uh, very interesting to see what's going to happen with that. Mm -hmm. Also, another interesting uh, sidelight from All Israel News, uh, a very interesting article. Uh, last night, uh, Sean and my wife Pam and I uh, were watching an interview with uh, with uh, 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 the uh, founder of uh, Tesla and uh, SpaceX, uh, and uh, he was saying how uh, AI uh, was going to be uh, one of uh, the, the great issues 
of our time. Uh, and, and so uh, in light of all that, I thought it was fascinating uh, that there was an article today where famed Israeli historian Yuval Noah Hariri has declared that a non-human entity may soon create religions that are actually correct. Uh, given the extreme skepticism of religious claims that has been at the center of this fellow's career as a writer historian, it's striking to hear Hariri posit that perhaps a superintelligent machine will soon uh, give birth to correct religions, as he said. In an interview with journalist Pedro Pint uh, uh, a bit ago, Hariri argued that the creation of advanced intel uh, artificial intelligence marks an unprecedented leap forward in human history. Hariri told Pint that AI is the first technology ever that can create new ideas. AI can create new ideas, even write a new Bible, he went on to say. Throughout history, religions dreamt of having a book written by a superhuman intelligence, by a non-human entity. Every religion claims our book came from some superhuman intelligence. In a few years, there might actually be religions that are correct. Just think about a religion whose holy book is written by AI. That could be a reality in a few years. So uh, the, uh, the interesting thing is this fellow like, uh, fellows like Hariri, uh, Elon Musk uh, and others have uh, not uh, really made any kind of uh, uh, statements as far as where they stand on religious issues. Agnosticism to atheism is kind of their province over there. But uh, both of them agree, however, that uh, the possibility of artificial intelligence creating a religion that all peoples could agree upon. I think it's a very interesting piece of the prophetic uh, puzzle uh, because one of the things that we do see in the last days, the end times, is a rise of a world-dominating religion called Mystery Babylon. Mm. Uh, in uh, Revelation chapter 17 and 18, the Mystery Babylon religious system is directly tied into the Babylon the Great uh, economic system that is going to dominate the world in the last days. Uh, we are told in Revelation chapter 13 that the Antichrist uh, and the false prophet will create an idol and give it life and allow it to speak and it will bring in, if you will, the last day's economic system, the mark of the beast. So uh, when we see uh, individuals like Noah Hariri beginning to say that uh, perhaps AI can be the thing that we can all agree upon, a new Bible, if you will, written uh, by artificial intelligence, uh, fascinating <clears throat> details indeed. So, I mean, if lab problem. coats are the priests of the day and quote unquote science, and I say that the very, science, very lowercase yeah. science, yeah. not genuine science, but uh, what we call follow the science, uh, they're going to say, well, if AI is dealing only in facts, then anything it would say would be true. Which and is so. false because <laughs> AI only parrots what is programmed into it. Yeah. Like, for example, the hyper-secular individuals who will say, well, this is a correct Bible mm -hmm. because the AI told to say it's right says it's right. Yeah, the Elon well, Musk interview that we heard was really fascinating because he was talking about chat GPT, mm -hmm. which is sort of the lead-in, if you will, to AI. And um, chat GPT, you know, you can say, okay, uh, you can interface with it and uh, and say, uh, you know, uh, what would be the best position to take concerning the environment. And the one thing that you'll discover about ChatGPT is that it will tend to give you a very woke view of uh, the uh, questions that you're, you're asking it. And there's a reason for that, because ChatGPT was basically programmed in San Francisco and would basically reflect 
San Francisco and Silicon Valley values, which tend to be woke, if you want to use mm -hmm. that sort of term. Yeah. So as you mentioned, Sean, it's kind of the uh, uh, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not as if mm -hmm. somehow uh, there's going to be this, as they say, a singularity where uh, uh, AI mm. suddenly becomes self-aware. It's ultimately going to have its roots in the programming of the people that set it up. It'll well, be the it, master of the lie, and that was kind of what I was wondering is, could it this one world religion be a form of secularism with te no. the technology being the master? No, he'll exalt himself above any other gods and claim himself person uh, above all other gods. But when it comes to this nonsensical argument, the crux of the issue centers around, well, AI only deals in facts, says me. <laughs> and of course, because I'm the one who said that this is right, this is what it means, this is what it says, I'm also the one who told this program this is what you need to mean, this is what you need to say, it would be no more meaningful for us to hear from an AI and say, well, that's just the facts, ma'am, than for me to go up to an atheist and say, okay, the Bible says it, and the Bible only deals in facts. Well, I pretty much set up a system of infallible and unquestionable to use the philosophical term, non-falsifiable position. AI can't be wrong. Why? Because AI can't be wrong. It's circular reasoning. I don't argue the Bible because the Bible. I argue the Bible because it's shown a track record of accurate mm -hmm. statements over time. And if, as we see with ChatGDP, the uh, beta testing of AI's communication skills is essentially just the puppet strings of people with a political agenda, we have no reason to trust it. And you know, when you talk about people that have an agenda, there's another fascinating quote in the uh, article. I encourage you all to read it on All Israel News. It's really fascinating. Uh, but there was also a, a, a panel that was uh, put together where a number of uh, speakers on superintelligence uh, with the leading AI thinkers and developers were involved. Sam Harris, oh, a uh, Jewish individual, atheist intellectual, publicly spoken with this Hariri fellow many times about AI and the future of humanity. He said this, and I think it's fascinating because you sort of see the cards being put on the table here. Uh, Harris said he hoped a superintelligent machine would create what amounts to a new morality for humanity. He said, quote, I would want a truly value-aligned superintelligence to incrementally show us, not merely conserve what we want, but show us what we should want to keep improving our values so that we can navigate in the space of all possible experiences and converge on better and better ones. Now, the similarity between Harris's dream, improving our values and showing us what we should want, and Hariri's statement uh, that AI created religions that are actually correct is uh, worthy of note. Uh, in the All Israel News article, the comment is, such ideas are born out of an atheistic evolutionary worldview embraced by both Harris and Hariri, which prophesies that humanity will soon enter a virtually inevitable transformational period, often referred to as the singularity, in which the emergence of superintelligent machines will forever change not only the course of human history, but humanity itself. Uh, so uh, very interesting that there's a lot of shoulds that are involved here and that people like Hariri and Sam Harris are counting on these super intelligences to come alongside poor pitiful humanity and show us what we should desire. Now as soon as you hear the S word brought into one of these conversations, what are we talking about? We're talking about values, we're talking about morals, 
we're talking about unproven axioms mm -hmm. that make up a worldview, are we not? Yep, and that, of course, is not something you can't argue without a fixed point. If I just communicate an opinion, like Sam Harris's books tend mm -hmm. to do, him arguing metaethics without the need for God, then you essentially have someone arguing in a circle that appeals to as many people encompassing it as possible. That if you have the most people shouting the same thing over and over again, that society will enforce its own morality. The problem with that is... That only counts if you like the system of morality. Sam Harris, if he has Jewish descent, is not going to be in favor of 1940s Germany morality, no matter how many people fit within that circle. And of course, people today like Matt Dillahunty and other atheist speakers would talk out of both sides of their mouth saying, no, 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 it's entirely subjective and it is absolutely objective. You must conform to what society dictates. But society can be wrong and you need to understand that it all needs to be made up over time. No one's ever right, but we're absolutely right. It's a living contradiction. And just like with the argument that AI, and again, <laughs> not the most optimistic of people here if you know me, but the idea of AI reaching this point is making it out to be more the image of science fiction rather than what it's A, actually capable of and what I personally believe will ever be. But beyond science fiction, I think what you also see in the AI discussions is it's not just science fiction, it's not just technology for technology's sake, let technology lead us wherever. It has this decided sense of religiosity behind it. Yeah, this is our savior. Uh, yeah, these super intelligent machines that essentially take on all of the attributes that generally religions have ascribed to God, but uh, because man's created them, somehow we can put our trust <clears throat> in them to guide us, quote, where we should mm. be the ultimate idol yeah so you know i guess what it comes down to is this when you take away all of the uh, technology and uh, you know cgi and uh, marvel movies uh, behind all of this kind of thinking you're left with this one uh, undeniable fact for humanity to try to navigate by a light that is tied to its own ship's mast mm will either leave us hopefully lost or on the rocks. And these philosophers, these folks like Sam Harris should know better, especially when they're coming up, coming from a natural Well, I would disagree with you. I would disagree with you on that because the Book of Romans chapter 1 says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Yeah. And what is the most foolish thing? What is the centerpiece foundational stone of foolishness? The fool hmm. has said in his heart, Psalm 14 and verse 1, there is no God. Once you go down that pathway, um, you might be able to invent a breath spray that mm. lets you kiss a little longer, but as far as uh, being able to answer the should questions in life and the ought questions in life and the big questions in life, like what lies beyond the icy grave, mm. you're absolutely stymied, you're absolutely stopped. That so. reminds me of when, when I was going through some of my apologetics training that uh, our instructor, J.P. Moreland, talked about naturalism. The whole week was about naturalism and how a, na a genuine naturalist can never use purposive language. You should never say ought or should. And that's what I meant by he should know better philosophically that if you don't believe in any kind of you know objective reality, that it's all based on culture. All morality is subjective. Yeah, so. well, uh, we've got to get to our questions, but 
you know, C.S. Lewis talked about uh, one of the greatest proofs in his mind that really impacted him as an atheist was this moral ought that no matter where you go in this world, you have this innate sense of right and wrong, fairness, if you will. Uh, you know, it might be tweaked and torqued by cultural ideas, but, uh, you know, if you walk up to somebody and whack them in the face for no reason, they're going to be angry about that, not just physically, but morally. Why did you do that to me? Well, that's the moral ought, if you will. We can't seem to get away from the fact that God's made us in his image and likeness, and no matter how much we might try to deny it or say we want super machines to tell us the moral oughts, we can't seem to get away from the fact that we have been created with this innate sense of right and wrong. Uh, Evolutionism doesn't explain this. Yeah, that's why naturalism is self-refuted. Self-refuting. Susie wants to know... Yes, Sui. Sui. I don't know if it's Susie or Sui. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> uh, wants to know if uh, it is possible that God is ever surprised at certain sins. And I I, uh, I think, and she, uh, or they, I'm not sure if she's she, but Jeremiah 19.5 is the passage, I think. Yeah, uh, open theism is false. God is not surprised if what you mean by surprised is that he's unaware of or it never occurred to him that we could deviate from his character in this way. Psalm 139 in verse 1 says, O Lord, David speaking, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. Notice he doesn't specify only my good thoughts. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all, count them all, my ways. For there is not for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me before and behind, you laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So understanding, and that goes on to describe another doctrine like omnipresence as well, the omniscience, the all-knowingness of God is an absolute. It's something that's exclusive to him and that absolutely applies to him. People would confuse this in reading, say, for example, Habakkuk chapter 1, where it says that you are too holy to look upon sin, and people think that, like World War Z or something, that God suddenly becomes blind to you if you sin or something. No, the idea is that you can't look upon those things with favor. You don't even need an understanding of the original language to piece that out. But if we're going to go to Jeremiah 19 and verse 5 as an example of open theism, the denial of God's omniscience. Uh, Let's start in verse 4 and note that I think we're focusing on the wrong half of the sentence. It says, because they have forsaken me and made this an alien place, what's this? He's speaking to Jeremiah regarding the sign of the broken flask. Now, where was he to break this flask as a sign to Israel? The valley of Hinnom, Gehenna, something that Jesus later used as an illustration for hell, where you're going to read here in a second. Because they have burned incense in it to other gods, whom neither they, their fathers, nor the kings of Judah have known, and have filled this place with the blood of the innocents. Then verse 5 reads, They have also built the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or speak. 
nor did it come into my mind. Then notes that there is going to be a reckoning for the children that have been slaughtered there. They would call it the Valley of Slaughter because of the dead. And ironically enough, through the siege conditions of Babylon, verse 9 goes on to note that your torture of your children and the murdering of them, well, you're going to be so hungry, you're going to be eating your own children, like I warned you this would lead to all the way back in Deuteronomy. But the point being made is this. If I only focus on the last half of the sentence and say, nor did it come into my mind, see, there's things that can't come into God's mind. He's limited in knowledge. He's not all-knowing. You miss the point. It's in the context of what? Commanding or speaking. The command would have never entered into my mind. The thought for me to tell you to do these sort of things in my land would never come into my mind. And you see a direct example of that in Genesis 22, where God told Abraham to offer his son Isaac on an altar and then said what? You're not to do this. I will provide myself a sacrifice. So in a pagan culture, where the value of your sacrifice reflected the devotion that you had to your God. If you were to offer your children an altar, that was the ultimate expression of your piety. But the God of Israel was not to be like that. And at the foundations, not just the Jewish culture, not just the Jewish legal system, the Jewish ethnicity, God made himself distinguished from these lords, that's what Baal means, of this world, and saying, I would never have commanded you to do such a thing. That sort of thing would never even entered into my mind. Now, he is he speaking literally and saying, there's just some things that even I don't think of, and that you would think of them, oh, I am, I am aghast. Yeah. No, he's saying, I w- didn't command you that, I wouldn't command you that, I wouldn't even think of commanding you to do that. This isn't an argument for open theism, that's heresy. Yeah, uh, there's a really interesting phrase that the Apostle Paul uh, uses uh, on a regular basis in the book of uh, Romans. It's the Greek words meganoita. Uh, You know, he uses it, for instance, uh, to talk about should we sin uh, so that grace might increase. Uh, He says meganoita. Uh, Well, that literally means in Greek, may it not even enter into someone's mind to think that way. Now, that doesn't mean that people can't think that way or it's absolutely uh, impossible for, you know, your thought process to imagine such a thing. But it's the idea of thinking with approval, thinking that that's a good idea, thinking that that's a real possibility. And that meganoida, remember we're talking about Rabbi Saul here, uh, dovetails with these repeated statements that we see, for instance, in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 32 and verse 35 talking about passing their sons and daughters through the fire to Moloch. He said, which I had not commanded them, nor had it entered my mind that they should do this abomination to mislead Judah to sin. In other words, uh, there there was kind of this, uh, I guess we could use the highfalutin word syncretism that the people of Israel were involved with. Remember, at the time of the writing of Jeremiah, the temple in Jerusalem was still standing. Uh, And uh, these people go down the Valley of Hinnom, offer one of their sons or daughters in sacrifice, in the morning, afternoon, they'd be up there for the evening sacrifice to the time of prayer there at the temple. And so, you know, this kind of old age, new age movement, if you will. You can have a little Baal worship, you can have a little Moloch worship, you can have a little Yahweh worship. Uh, you know, it's all worship. What, what difference does it make as long as it floats your boat, you know? You, you, you like being at the temple, that's great. You like the Valley of Hinnom, fine. Um, you know, the people, the people tend to compartmentalize this. And, you know, and so they said, you know, well, it's okay, and I'm sure God understands. What God is saying, no, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Not in the sense that he doesn't comprehend it, but in the sense that he does not approve of it, that this kind of system they set up uh, that takes the coexist bumper sticker and 
makes it nuclear, uh, was not something that was ever mm -hmm. in his heart and his mind. And so for some wise and learned uh, theologian or priest of the temple, say, well, okay, yeah, you're down there at the Valley of Hinnom. As long as you're here, as long as you put something in the temple mm -hmm. treasury, you're fine. No, God says, uh-uh. Uh, you know, east is east and west is west and never the twain shall meet. So that that's kind of what the, the idea was there. Could the questioner maybe have been thinking, maybe not open theism, a, a theological term like that, but perhaps just the, is God ever shocked? You know, obviously, if God knows everything, uh, that would even be hard to say. But I think maybe, what if they're just simply asking, is God ever really like, wow, I didn't think they would stoop that low? Those well, does, does God have an emotional revulsion, if you will, to our sin? Yeah. Did he know it was going to happen? Yeah. Mm. Uh, was he so committed to forgiving that sin he was willing to send his son to die for it? Yeah. Before the uh, foundations of the earth. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's that's really where you've got to leave mm. it. Our God is not so omniscient that he's unfeeling. Mm. And he's also perfect love. So you have to kind of avoid the... Uh, the great computer yeah. in the sky view of God as well. Yeah, we're told not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Thank you. Thank you for that question. Hope that was helpful for you. A uh, question from uh, Sean, another Sean. Uh, got a question. Will any devout Catholics be going to heaven and be with Jesus when they die, or are they considered not a part of the faith? Thanks. Depends what you mean by devout Catholic, meaning that they affirm the fundamental teachings of Jesus of Nazareth or that they affirm the fundamental teachings of Roman Catholicism because there is a big difference. Um, my resources are apparently deciding to freeze up here. Maybe we can blame the Vatican for hacking it, but I want to be able to give citation and sources, so I'll be brief. When it comes to the claims of salvation, what will result in salvation of your souls to the Jesus of Nazareth who lived, died, and rose again the third day according to the scriptures, by whom we alone have salvation, regardless of what group you associate with, most Roman Catholics aren't familiar with the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Vatican II, or any of their other sources. Book of, of Canon Law, yeah. So if they would simply affirm what Jesus taught, that he is God, that God's revealed himself in a trinity, that the nature of salvation is by grace through faith in him and his resurrection alone, and that, of course, we learn all of this through the Bible, which is our sole and final authority on sound doctrine, then, um, yeah, they're as saved as anyone else would be, regardless of their affiliation with the Catholic Church. That being said, the Roman Catholic Church would be contrary to three out of four of these things in their own writings. However, I don't want to make claims without being able to back them up, so I guess we'll just have to follow up on this tomorrow. But the point being made is this. Uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church makes some very dogged claims against the gospel, against the nature of salvation, and against the nature of God being the only God out there, that exclusive divine attributes, for example, noting the book of Isaiah, where God says, a just God and Savior, there is none apart from me. I know not one. Right. Yet these sort of exclusive attributes are given to Mary and the saints. In particular, it is noted in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, I want to give direct citation, but I can't, is, of course, going to be uh, emphasized through her prayers, through her prayers, the one who 
not only conceive the living God according to the Catechism, but in particular it is through her that we are not only saved, the redemption of our souls is achieved, but they give exclusive titles of God to her like advocate and savior. So that's just outright blasphemous. When it comes to the nature of salvation, they would make the fundamental claim in their book of Canon Law, Vatican II, and the Catechisms, that salvation is not possible apart from the Roman Catholic Church. Now note, are there Protestant churches that would go the same route in claiming that they are the infallible source of truth? Absolutely. They are just as much in error. Two people in error does not make one more in error or less in error, therefore right, as the other. And this is the point. To a Roman Catholic's credit, and someone who would attribute to their church all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, that's tongue-in-cheek, by the way, uh, we're talking about someone who would place that emphasis because truth is truth regardless of your feelings towards it, and I agree. But the foundation of truth can't be put under the authority of the Catholic Church. Uh, computer was able to restart here, so let me actually read off some sources here. Uh, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church 100, it notes, quote, the task of interpreting the Word of God authentically has been entrusted solely to the magisterium of the Church, that is to the Pope, and the bishops in communion with him. It then goes on to note in Catechism of the Canon Law, or Catechism of the Catholic Church, rather, uh, 2034, that the Roman pontiff and his bishops are the authentic teachers endowed with the authority of Christ, who preach the faith to the people entrusted to them, faith to be believed and put into practice. The ordinary and universal magisterium of the pope and bishops in communion with him teach the faithful the truth to believe, the charity of practice, the beatitude to hope for. Their faith is in individuals and titles, offices, not in the actual source of information that's being handed down to them. So when it comes to levels of authority, if any church, Roman or otherwise, puts themselves above scripture, they're a cult. If any individual puts themselves on par or above Christ, they're a cult. If any group denies what Jesus plainly taught, they're a cult. If people put their trust in anything more or anything less, but I repeat myself, then scripture to understand what God has revealed to us, they're a cult. Are all Roman Catholics in a cult? No, because most don't affirm or even are aware of any of these teachings. But those that do are just as much lost as a Protestant who would deny these things as well. Yep. I agree. Thank you for that question. Robert Block wanted to ask, uh, Good evening, brothers. So I just found, find it amazing that Jesus was so hated by the religious leaders of his day by doing the things in his ministry that were prophesied of him. For instance, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, then the lame shall leap, and he goes on to uh, finish that passage, uh, Isaiah 35, 5-6. through So this is the question. Shouldn't have the religious leaders have known by studying the scriptures that seeing Jesus do what was prophesied, they should have put two and two together. Just wanted to throw that out there and see what you guys think. That was Jesus' well, complaint. Well, here's the bottom line. You, you want to know why these guys hated Jesus so much? It wasn't because he did signs. They couldn't deny the signs, right? It's how he did the signs. And, and this is what I mean by that. In the book of, of Mark chapter 3, uh, we are told that Jesus entered the synagogue and he saw a man there with a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? 
but they kept silent. And when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against them how they might destroy him. Now notice something. You've got the Pharisees who are the religious conservatives, right? You've got the Herodians who are the far left religious liberals. They're the go along to get along guys. Uh, they, they basically kissed up to uh, people that were as morally uh, bereft as, as, the Herodi- as Herod and his buddies. But they agreed on one thing. Jesus was a threat to them. Why? Because to the Pharisees, when Jesus didn't follow their steel-reinforced spiritual sensibilities about what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath, mm-hmm. that, you know, again, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to save man's lives or destroy them, to heal or to kill. And they kept silent. We're told Jesus was moved with anger. Boy, you want to get God angry. This is this kind of hard-heartedness. And commitment to our system uh, was, was what was really under assault here. Now, why would they be so angry at Jesus doing miracles? Because the old saying is true. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Uh, he's going to continue to want to hold on to his position. Don't confuse me with the facts. My mind's made up. I mean, it got so bad that in uh, the book of John, chapter 11, after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and the emissaries from the chief priests who were the secularists of that day, uh, they didn't believe in a resurrection, came back and, and said, you know, what are we going to do? You know, everybody's going to be following this guy. And uh, the chief priest said, you know nothing at all. Uh, you know, let this one man die for the nation. If he keeps doing these miracles, uh, the Romans are going to come along and take away our position and our nation. Now, notice the order there. You know, their authority, their position, their perks. And boy, they had perks. Go with us on a trip to Israel, you'll get a chance to see the uh, excavated uh, remains of the high priest digs. And man, this guy had quite the palace going for him. So, you know, when you've committed yourself to this system and you've committed yourself to the perks and bennies that come from this system and God comes on the scene and says, I'm not playing by your rules, you're faced with a fork in the road. Either this guy goes or we go and we're not going anywhere. And and, and so that was the number one reason why they wanted to get rid of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And the Herodians felt the same way. Uh, if this guy does miracles, the guy shows greater power than Herod, we're going to lose our power. You know, if we've sold out to Herod and God's really come on the scene, might might not uh, buy into our well-worked sensibilities as far as loving to stimulate our nerve endings and so on. Mm. Uh, so, you know, when we say, why wouldn't they believe? Sometimes people will pose the question, uh, you know, if God wants me to believe, why doesn't he just do a miracle right in front of me? Why doesn't he appear to me tonight in the sky or rearrange the stars to say repent? Well, you know, it sounds persuasive at first, but the, the bottom line is this. Uh, if God had to do that to get you to believe today, what would we have to do tomorrow? And, and, and the, the long and the short of it is we're still calling the shots. Mm. We're telling God what to do. And we fail to understand our place in the universe, mm. essentially. He's God, we're not. The one who comes to God must believe that he is 
in his essence and who he really is as a rewarder of those who seek him. Mm. Uh, it doesn't say that God somehow rewarded when we decide, oh, well, I'll deign to believe in you, God. That's not the way the scripture paints the situation at all, but it's the way our sinful nature paints it. So, and, and we're already without excuse just by the creation alone. Yeah, <laughs> let so, alone. So you know, why did they why did they want to kill Jesus right there in that synagogue? They made up their mind to destroy him because he mm. wasn't going to play along with their system. And we got to really be careful that we're not reinventing the same sort of steel reinforced spiritual sensibilities. Yeah. You know, where uh, you know if if you don't you know, have the same kind of music we do, or where you don't have the same kind of service that mm -hmm. we do, where you don't follow the same political paths that we do, uh, then somehow, you know, you're a heretic or you're, you know, anathema or something like yeah. that. Um, you know, we, we have to really guard against our hearts becoming hardened into those kind of systems. Because none of those guys who did that sort of thing felt like they were doing the wrong thing. They all thought they were doing the right thing. Right. Yeah. So. Similar to the problem you were pointing out, Sean, about Roman Catholicism, putting tradition over Scripture. Yeah, that it would be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a common mistake that intellectual prowess and spiritual belief go hand in hand. They don't. People can be intellectual in their faith, but when it comes down to it, just because someone's smart doesn't mean they're rational, doesn't mean they're logical, doesn't mean that they aren't driven by their emotions or influenced by their desire for superficial things like reputation or finances. You can look at one atheist debate and note that there's more going on here than just the facts on the table. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Well, uh, did you want to touch on the Second Kings thing? or We did it yesterday, and we also did the uh, Spirit of Elijah thing on Monday. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, let's see here. I'm Want to do our uh, Bible contradiction? Well, there's another question I think someone asked about uh, the latest uh, download of uh, information on space aliens. Yeah, uh, that, that uh, papier-mâché pinata. Yeah, uh, well... Uh, for those of you not aware, in uh, Mexico City, the Mexican government unveiled uh, what they uh, described as the remains of uh, two space aliens, proving that we've been visited by space monkeys, I guess. The rumor is uh, that it told, its last words were, the galaxy is on Orion's, and he couldn't quite find the word. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, All right, yeah. it's, catch the reference. What was yeah. really fascinating to me uh, and uh, is that uh, on uh, Twitter, they have this uh, function called Community Notes, where something gets uh, posted on Twitter, and then they will say, uh, well, this has been posted, but you might like to know. Well, the you might like to know part of all of this is that these two uh, supposed remains of space aliens uh, UFO jockeys, whatever they are, uh, have been debunked before in the past. Uh, what it turns out uh, on analysis is that these are uh, uh, remains of what very well may be uh, Native Americans that were buried and dug up uh, after a time, and their bones were kind of um, folded, spindled, and mutilated together to form these images, they say are space aliens. So uh, pretty much debunked right off uh, the bat. Uh, you know, if you uh, talk to us on this program about our point of view on all of this, uh, the Bible doesn't say yay or nay, in a sense, in a thou shalt or thou shalt not thing, that there aren't 
uh, other intelligent uh, civilizations out there. But we are very, 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 very skeptical of it. Why? Because the Bible says that when God created the heavens and the earth, he started with the earth. Uh, events on earth, like the fall of man, affected the entire universe. Uh, when God entered into his universe, he entered as the God-man, Jesus Christ. When he returns and once again uh, gets involved with our physical universe, he's returning here to planet earth. Uh, when God wraps up his dealings here on planet earth, uh, the entire universe is going to be recreated at that particular point. It's a very earth-centric mm. point of view. It just seems really strange to me that if you had a United Federation of Planets and Vulcans and Borgs and all these <laughs> other things running around out there, that events that happen on this planet in particular would have such far-reaching implications. Mm -hmm. So for that reason, but mostly because of the fact that when we see Jesus in heaven in glory, he's still the God-man. He's not the God-Klingon. He's not the God-Vulcan. He's not the God-Borg. <laughs> uh, he's the God-man. Yeah. Uh, that, to me, is very persuasive and uh, you know kind of comes down to something called Fermi's paradox they used to call it and that is is if we are if human life if life intelligent life isn't really that special that it's all emerged out of chance where are all the space aliens mm. you know we look through SETI we look through telescopes we look through uh, all kinds of analyses of trying to find habitable planets but so far the evidence of life on other planets is nil mm. Which is also the same question we should ask about transitional forms. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, so. I think Elon Musk wants to turn us into Borg, but yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Christina, sorry, I just saw your email. It went into our spam folder. We'll cover that about the English Standard Version Bible tomorrow. But um, thank you so much for all of you for tuning in. Uh, uh, Christina had a question about uh, the King James Version versus the NASB and ESV in Genesis. Catch that, catch that tomorrow. Yeah, we certainly can. Thank yeah. you so much uh, for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed the program and have been blessed. We'll be here same place, same time tomorrow. Don't forget, we're live streaming our service in Ezekiel. Yeah, what's evening. gone wrong with the sheepfold is our subject tonight. So, <laughs> Well, God bless you. and Thank you, gentlemen, for being here. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.